not long after I got there, I ended up having um, this encounter. Well, no, I ended up having what I now know to be natural deliverance. Okay. So (laughs) much Jesus was going in and all of a sudden to me, it felt like I got connected to all of this rage and I started screaming and yelling and cussing and throwing stuff. And now I know it was actually the demons leaving after it was after that happened. I literally, I've never experienced anything like it. I was spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically exhausted, like nothing left in me. And I passed out on my bed. And that is when Jesus became real for me because Jesus walked in there and laid in that bed with me and started to play with my hair. And instead of telling me all the things I needed to fix, Mm. he said, I am so sorry for all the things that happened to you that made you not want to feel. And if you trust me, I'm going to make every day of the rest of your life better than any day you've ever lived. And that's exactly what he's done. What I'm saying, I believe the church, when they become kingdom minded, Mm -hmm. they will understand the glory powers that are given to us. Mm -hmm. But I believe that if every man of God, every Christian have this face of face experience Mm -hmm. with Jesus, their Mm -hmm. life will change. Well, let's talk about it because this this book, it's certainly, again, this has been put in the hands of government officials and the commoner and you name it, people that uh, are of different faiths. I mean, it is just... Tell us the impact. First of all, what is the book face-to-face, yes. and then what is its impact that's going on? After 18 years of ministry, the Lord come to me, back to me in a dream. Of course, he had been visiting me continually, and then he appeared to me when I was 19 and said, I'm giving you this miracle ministry. And so we've just seen people untwist out of wheelchairs, mm-hmm. whole regions set free, mm-hmm. you know, all the bars. And this is in America, all the bars shut down mm-hmm. because yeah. all the bar owners got saved. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. mayor got slain in the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I mean, just phenomenal power transforming mm-hmm. regions. Even the prison system in that region was mm-hmm. emptied. Everybody mm-hmm. was emptied. Yes. That was great power. But I mean, we've just seen phenomenal things. But after 18 years, the Lord comes back to me in a dream because I had tried to write that book 10 years earlier. Mm-hmm. And I only got past the third page and went cold and couldn't <laughs> write for 10 years. Wow. And I go to sleep one night. And this is the thing I, I want people to understand that dreams, their dreams are important. Mm-hmm. When God comes to you in a dream or when he speaks to you through symbolisms, it is major. We must pay attention. And so I go to sleep. And Jesus appears to me in 2008 again in the month of September mm-hmm. and said, I want you to finish the book face to face. He says, and if you will write this book and show in scriptures how I want to come to everyone, not just apostles or prophets or special messengers, but I want to appear to every single person, saints and sinners. Mm. He says, when you write this book, I will appear to everyone who reads the book. And not only that, I will start appearing to whole cities, nations, and countries, continents Mm. in your nation, Mm. in your world, in in the whole world. Mm. Hey, do you want to have an encounter with Jesus eye to eye? On today's show, I share about very protocol of walking into the throne room of God. When someone has a true, a true heaven encounter, one thing that is always sure you'll see that their life, they're transformed. They have such a transformation happen on the inside of them that they begin to look and act a little bit more like Jesus. They should. If it's a true heaven encounter, you'll see a transformed 
actual experience, you'll see that their life is just so different. It's so different than before. And each time, I know this personally, each time I've had a heaven encounter, I come back changed a little bit more every time. Every time I come, you can't go and dip in the glory. Listen, you can't go dip in heaven and not come back changed. So here's the thing. When we come right back, I want to take the time and actually share with you one of my personal throne room encounters. And I believe as I share with you, you're going to actually feel the tangible presence of God come on you. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. What is the secret place to you? Well, I saw that the secret place is actually in the throne room of God, and it's next to where the cherubim are. There's a cherubim, um, there's a cherub on each side of God and covers him with wings, and it, they're huge. And it's just like the mercy seat in the Old Testament when he built uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And if you get right there in the shadow of the Most High where those wings are, then you that's your dwelling place. And there, there's no hindrance. There's no disease. There's no other voices except God's voice. That's the secret place. And we have been given access through Jesus Christ. We can sit with him in the heavenly realm. But I, I can tell you that we have all been bought that place through Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I bought this place for you. This spot in heaven is for you. And he said, you can come here anytime you want and sit with me and you can hear God's voice and take it back with you. He said, you can know my will and bring it back to earth. That's what we're supposed to do in prayer. What's God's voice sound like? A loving father. And it's very reassuring. He's standing on our future. According to Psalms 139.5, he is standing on our future and he's paved a way to it. So he's bidding us to come to our future, which is his now. Today's episode, in case you haven't already figured it out, has to do with face-to-face God encounters. And these claims are highly prevalent in the hyper-charismatic New Apostolic Reformation movement. It is not uncommon to hear people talk about these things, let alone those who consider themselves apostles and prophets and others who are being raised up as leadership and then encouraging all of the body of Christ that these encounters are necessary in order to live a full life before God, in order to be transformed, to be empowered. And it almost seems as if that if you can't lay claim to some of these face-to-face God encounters and having this intimate relationship with God, that you really don't know God as deeply as you could. And it creates this hierarchical Christianity of those that really want to know God and can claim these face-to-face God encounters or Jesus coming into their bedroom or them being taken up into heaven, as we've heard today. And this is just a drop in the bucket from what there is out there. This is just a small sampling. I felt it would be good to talk about this today and to talk about some of the issues with some of the scriptures that are used in reference to this and why this is problematic, why this can this can open us up to a lot of, of error and danger in doing these things and seeking these encounters. Most of all, I really want to talk today about what it truly means to live before the face of God. Because I think a lot of us, particularly those of us who have been in this movement for any length of time, have not really understood, and I say that about myself as well in the past few years, of really understanding what it means to live before the face of God. And I hope that you will be encouraged, as always today, by this episode in knowing what the scripture has to say and being reminded of 
your daily life and how you're living before God and our hope that we look towards as always. So stick with me today as we take a look at this and we go back to scripture and we listen to some teaching on a term that you may not be familiar with, but it's going to help you to understand about living before the face of God. Hi there, and welcome to the Love Sick Scribe podcast, where we talk about biblical truths, current topics, and where we grow in loving the word and loving the one who is the word, Jesus Christ. I am Dawn Hill, and I am the Love Sick Scribe. So I just played several clips for you, and as always, I like to let you know who you're listening to, so that way you have a frame of reference. The first person that I played for you was someone you may not know very well. Her name is Jenna Winston. Charisma has identified her as a Bethel pastor and seer, and she talked in 2019 sharing her issues with drug addiction and having to go to a psych ward because she was diagnosed with schizophrenia, and she attended a faith-based counseling program, and it was there that as you heard her in this interview that she was doing with another lady, she tells of this encounter that she had with Jesus and how she had natural deliverance that that happened to her in this faith-based recovery program. And she talks about how she cried out loud that, God, I'm done picking and choosing which parts of me you can have. She took all the meds over to the main house of the rehab center and she flushed them down the garbage disposal. And she said that was her natural deliverance. And then two weeks later, she had her supernatural deliverance. And this is where she's talking about that Jesus came into the darkness and that it had to leave and that she was screaming and raging and cussing and doing all these things and that she was exhausted And at this point, as you heard, she said, this is when Jesus crawled in that bed with her and just started playing with her hair. And she said, he goes on to say, I'm so sorry for the things that happened to you that made you not want to feel. And if you trust me, I'm going to make every day of your life better than any day that you ever lived. She says she surrendered everything to him and now works with addicts as well as people who suffer anxiety, depression, and other emotional disorders. Now, I share this example because this is something that it, that can be commonly shared. You hear a lot of people, such as who we heard here, some of Anna Warner and Kevin Zadai and David Taylor. But I use this as an example for these four individuals to, to show that there's different varieties of what people say. And in this case, it is concerning because of the history of mental illness and things that she tells about. But she's describing things about Jesus that are more humanistic and more romantic, if you will, which is very, it's inappropriate. And it, and it's not painting the picture of, of our Lord and Savior who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, who's not doing things like this. And then he crawled in bed with her and started playing with her hair. And then that he apologizes, that Jesus apologizes for the things that happened to her and that if she'll just trust him that he'll make every day of her life better than any days that you ever lived. And even in the clip that you heard earlier, you heard her say, this is when she truly came to Jesus because of this encounter. There's no mention of the gospel. There's no mention of the understanding of the brokenness because of sin and, and rebellion against God, her need to be cleansed of unrighteousness. There's nothing there that helps us to understand the distinction of this being the true gospel versus delusion or mental illness or, or, or whatever this is that's going on. That's one in and of itself. But I did I wanted to share that because it, it, it's very sad to me when I hear it. Uh, it's sad that there are examples like this, and, and what's sad is that, um, unfortunately, you have charisma that is propagating these things, that they're not being tested against Scripture, and so that that seems very concerning 
The second one I played for you was David E. Taylor, as I talked about, who says, who claims to be an apostle slash prophet and that he's seen God face to face and that he has authority and power because of this. And he talked about the book that he had that, uh, that espoused all these different things and and his encounter with Jesus. And he had another book he sold. And what I didn't play for you was that he talks about how in a very short period of time that that book sold out that first book. So he makes that a big deal and, and talks about these unverified accounts of prisons being in that area, prisons being emptied and and people leaving bars and and such like that, A, a revivalistic type thing because of his personal encounter with Jesus and, and what transpired because of that. I thought that was another interesting one to share because of it was really seemed to be focused more on David E. Taylor than on Jesus and utilizing that experience to say this should be normative for everybody. You know, he mentioned that about church leaders and even people, lay people in the church. This should be normative. And that's the question that we all have to ask ourselves when we hear these accounts is this normative? Is this talked about in scripture that this is to be the everyday experience of a believer in Christ? Do, do these encounters, these face-to-face God encounters, do these mark us as believers? Is that what we are supposed to attain um, and to strive toward as believers that we have these encounters that we can tell people about? Because it seems as if and I'm just jumping into this immediately today because I, I want to get to the to the other half of this that I think is far more worth t- talking about um, as far as how we are to live before God and recognizing his omnipresence and recognizing who he is in our life and what our hope is that we look towards. And it's not to having these encounters, by the way. But we have to ask this question, is this normative? Is this to be the norm in a believer's life? I mean, even when we read in Acts, for example, we can see that there are miraculous supernatural things that happen. And even when you see that the resurrected Christ, by the way, came to Paul on the road to Damascus, he came to him to transform him to be the apostle that he had chosen him to be before he was born. And the apostle to the Gentiles, by the way, to minister his gospel, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. It wasn't to sell popular books or anything like that, and it wasn't to talk about his experience and to talk about how spiritual he was. It was to conform him to the image of Christ and to give him the truth of the understanding of the gospel so that he could preach and minister to the Gentiles and bring the truth of the gospel, that which was the great mystery that Paul alludes to many times in the New Testament. We talked about the great mystery. The mystery was the Gentiles coming into the kingdom of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So David E. Taylor talks about his experience. Anna Werner is someone we've covered before when we talk about trips to heaven. I did an episode a, a year or so ago that talked about two tickets to paradise and the people that take trips to heaven. And I know we talked about her. But she does this show on the Inspiration Channel that's um, overseen, I believe, by Sid Roth. Hey, I am so excited to share with you right now um, one of my throne room encounters that that really uh, changed my life. We're, before diving into the Word, talking about, you know, real throne room kind of encounters, I want to share with you a time where I was just eye to eye, um, right up in the throne room, and I could just see Jesus. So... Every time I share this, I cry, and uh, I'm just going to warn you, <laughs> my, I got a lot of tears. They're my heart juice. Um, 
but as well, the glory of God usually just falls on people. So I believe as you're listening to this, what that means is you might start to actually feel the tangible presence of God. And how you react to the tangible presence is very different for every person. Some people feel, um, you might feel tingling come over you. Other times it feels like a, a weightiness, kind of like a, almost like a peaceful blanket kind of sits on top of you. Now, I'm going to stop right there, and I'm going to expand on this a little bit more and then play another clip from her, but she she is going to go into this experience, as I just said. I get the impression, uh, when listening just to this part of it, it's like she's prepping people and giving the power of suggestion. Now, I'm not saying that that's what her intentions are, but I want you to keep that in mind. When someone is telling you that and saying that, oh, when I ever tell this story, like this is what you're going to feel because of my face-to-face encounter with God, this is going to prompt you to have your own encounter or this own feeling. And so it seems like that it's really setting people up to have this feeling. So she goes on, she shares the story of being in Jerusalem and being baptized in the Jordan River and that she felt the fire of God under the water and that she felt like she was no longer there. And she saw herself in a different place in the throne room at the feet of Jesus with the glory coming. And it was like liquid fire. And she talks about when she saw the glory that she felt like she was going to die. And I've heard other people talk about this too, when they talk about their encounters. I've heard uh, Todd White talk about this, that when he felt the presence of God, not that he saw Jesus face to face, but feeling the presence of God, the glory of God, he felt like he was going to die. Um, Bill Johnson has talked about this as well. He even has a book called Face to Face um, with God. And he talks about this as well as on uh, an interviews that he's done about how he had an encounter. And he says that it was a face to face God encounter years ago when he was laying in bed and that he felt like a thousand volts of electricity were going through him and it took place at 3 a.m. And it just so happened he had ministered to this other person in a meeting that this would happen to them and he felt like God set him up. But this happened to him for an extended period of time and that it was life-changing for him. And he even talks about in his book that that those who have experiences like with God encounters, they can never be the same. That once you've experienced and encountered God like that, it is truly transformational. And again, this makes it normative, I would argue. When you tell people you need to be seeking these encounters, um, and, and he and other people will tell you this. They will say you need to be seeking these things. These are going to mark you as believers who are hungry and thirsty for the things of God and that you are going to be truly transformed uh, when you have these encounters. He has said such things as he is to be known. God is to be known through encounters, citing John fourteen sixteen, saying, I will ask the father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. And he said, and Bill Johnson says, we will be spirit filled forever in his book um, on page 20 of face to face with God. And, and he also talks about, um, as I said, there's one quote, he says, face-to-face encounters with God often look very different from each other. Such experiences have one thing in common. They make it nearly impossible for people to live as they did before they had them. There, there's things in this book and that other people have said that, that do make it seem as if it's to be normative and um, that this is what transforms you. But there are people that have never seen God that are that are transformed. And there's many of us that have never seen God, never seen Jesus. And the scripture even talks about that our lives are transformed and it's because of Christ. So as we go back to Anna Warner 
and what she's saying, she's talking about this radical encounter she had in the Jordan River being baptized and that she uh, was in the throne room and that she was saying, holy, 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 holy. And then she was right back in her body again, she said, and she was um, being held in the Jordan River by her friends. And she talks about, you know, for the next few days that she was just shaking and that she was out of it and having these encounters just falling over and she didn't have any um, any control over her body and that it was just a, a radical encounter that she had. But I want to play this for you real quick, too, from this same episode that she did where she talks about the fire of God coming in the studio and that there were angels in the studio and some of the things that she says about the protocol for going to heaven and seeing God face to face. Welcome back. You know, I got to tell you, as I shared about the throne room and the throne room encounter I had on that last segment, it's like the fire of God just came in the studio. There's actually right now currently an angel sitting right beside me. This is fun because (laughs) I have to talk to you, but I've got an angelic presence right here. Um, You at home, you should be feeling, I hope you're feeling the thick, weighty presence of God. Some of you, it's going to feel like heat. Right now, I've got fire all over me. Now, see, there's that thing about the power of suggestion again, power of suggestion. And again, I'm not saying she's doing it deliberately, but there is a power suggestion there. And she's pointing to an empty part on the couch where she says an angelic being is sitting right next to her. Some of you might feel like tingling. Some of you, someone just got healed. So go test out your healing. Go test it out. I promise you, I know so many people just got healed. I want to share with you really quick in this last part of the show a little bit of protocol about heaven that I've learned over the years of of going there. Um, One thing is this. I don't ever march up to heaven. I can't explain it better than that. But if I know some people have asked me, Anna, when you go to heaven, can you give Jesus this for me? Or can you go get me this? And I'll be honest, it doesn't work like that. It is really sad to me that people are utilizing individuals such as her to mediate in a way or to think that they're, again, a hierarchy of Christians that, oh, well, you go to heaven all the time. You see God face to face. Can you please do this for me? Can you please do that for me? Can you please ask God? This is very sad. And this, again, is pointing to the fact that that there is not proper biblical understanding here of a relationship with God and understanding what Scripture says and even testing what she's saying about going and seeing God face to face and having these throne room encounters and the other terminology, the verbiage that people use for these experiences. I couldn't help but notice how sad that is. And she's I mean, granted, she's acknowledging and saying, well, that's not how that works. And she's going to go on to say that you, it, to go to heaven, it's by invitation only. Again, it's creating this hierarchy of Christians. So am, am I not special enough to get an invitation to heaven? Are you not special enough to get an invitation to heaven? And again, I'm going to to make this argument today on this episode regarding this topic this is a gross misunderstanding of what our hope is in and what what we are to look toward as believers in Christ. And that does not mean that we have a normative life of going and making trips to heaven like it's Disney World, or that we're going somewhere and we're going to do all this 
be in the presence of God or do all this fun, nonsensical things that some people have claimed, as I've talked about before, trips to heaven, but having these face-to-face God encounters and then becoming an authority on them so we can sell books or sell DVDs or that we can go on programs to sell those books or DVDs as the next person I'm going to play in just a moment, but, and, and not give a proper understanding. And it's, and it's this desire and this craving for more, a supernatural craving. It's Gnosticism. This is that, this is Gnosticism, mysticism, the, the isms that are wrapped up in this of, of craving that supernatural encounter with God, because his word is not sufficient enough for you to understand. Jesus has done everything. He has done everything to save you. And the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you, to sanctify you, and that you have eternal life to look towards when this life is over. You have those things to look towards and to be face-to-face with God. And in the meantime, while you're on this earth, to understand what it means to live before the face of God. And we're going to get there, I promise you, because it's far better than what these people are trying to tell you and to peddle to you. But let me finish listening to what, what Anna has to say here about the protocol for going to see God face to face. I don't march. I don't like lace up my boots and march up there. Um, every time I've gone, it's by invitation only. It's just an invitation. So it's more like as I'm resting it out of a place of rest, I'm resting in the presence of God. I'm just spending time with him. And then suddenly an angel might show up and say, hey, come with me. Okay. Is there any testing of these angels? I, I don't ever hear these people testing to see if this is truly an angel. I mean, at the beginning of this program, she mentioned 1 John 4, 1. And she said, you're to test these spirits. But I don't hear any testing going on. It's immediate. They're, while I'm having this encounter, there's an angel there. I'm going with the angel. I'm going where they're going because it has to be from God. I, I want to mention that. And she talks about some other things about going to heaven and the protocol. So there's an invitation, but see, it's out of the place, actually, of intimacy and rest with God that there's an invitation to go up to heaven. So that you don't, you don't will your, you don't need to will yourself up there. You say, well, I want to go up. Hey, just focus on spending time with him and resting in his presence. What if you are doing what she says to do, which is very vague? What does that mean to to rest in his presence. What does that mean? And to have intimacy, what does that mean? Because there's no, there's no understanding according to what scripture says, what that means and what she's saying. And she's going to go on to say, it's, it's a lot like when Carol Arnott describes the sponge soaking in water. And if you've ever seen that, it's Mr. Sponge. I can't even tell you. I can't even explain to you how silly it is. There's this analogy where Carol Arnott shows this sponge that has a face on it that's sad and it's dry and it's all crusty. And it's not in, it's not in the anointing. It's not soaking. But then she puts it in the water and then later on she pulls another sponge out that's happy and it's drenched and it's silly and it's drunk in the spirit. And it's, you know, this demonstration that, uh, that she's trying to put on this illustrated sermon, I guess, if you will, of, of you don't need to be the dry sponge. You need to be like this silly sponge. It soaks itself in the presence of God and the glory of God. And that's how you're going to see God face to face if you do that. So we're actually going to move on to Kevin Zadai. 
Now, Kevin Zadai, if you're familiar with him, he's been on Sid Roth. He, he does ministering on his own. I've seen some messages that he's done online, and I've listened to them, painfully listened to them. And um, I've heard him talk about it on this particular episode that I played the clip for you, and he talks about God's voice in the secret place, and he referenced Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3. Prior to that, he talks about how that Jesus came to him in his bedroom and taught him how to play the saxophone and that he knows supernaturally how to play 14 different instruments. And he says something weird in this interview at the beginning. I thought this was just a side note to mention, but he says, I'm working on my 15th. If you're supernaturally taught by Jesus, you don't need to work on it. I just want to throw that out. But he says he's working on his 15th instrument. So in this episode, he talks about being um, five hours, five, five and a half hours, he says, with Jesus. And he sent these four DVDs to Sid Roth because he wanted to share this teaching and get it out to the world because Jesus told him to send them to Sid Roth. And to get this teaching out. And he talks about, you know, we heard about God's voice in the secret place. Um, what does God's voice sound like? And he referenced Psalm 139, verse 5. Now, I wanted to just spend a few minutes on this because when you look at Psalm 139, verse 5, that is a very um, quoted psalm that many people like because it talks about how God knows us. He intimately knows us because he formed and fashioned us and that he is omnipresent. He knows when we when we sit down, when we rise up. Um, we cannot hide from his presence. Um, if, if we're to send to heaven in verse 8, he is there. If we make our bed in Sheol, you are there, that the psalmist is saying. He's, and if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, you are there. But verse 5 is the one that he quotes. And I just want to read this out of the ESV because he quotes it as, God is standing on our future. Psalm 139, verse 5 in the ESV, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. The only translation that I can find that even comes close to what he's saying is the Passion Translation. And Psalm 139, verse 5 in the TPT, um, and this is why it's so important. I want to use this as an example, ladies. This is why you need to go back to Scripture. You need to, when people are citing Bible verses, I cannot say this enough, you need to open your Bible and you need to read along. Whether you're in Sunday service, Sunday school, whether you're sitting there watching someone that you highly respect or that you are trying to decipher and question and discern what's going on because you have a family member or loved one that's listening to someone and you're like, "Mm, I don't know about this person. You need to read your Bible. You need to open it and read it. You don't take what someone's saying at face value and, and say, oh, okay, they know what they're talking about because they've seen Jesus face to face and he taught them how to play a saxophone. Psalm 139 verse 5 says, You've gone into my future to prepare the way, and in kindness you follow behind me to spare me from the harm of my past. You have laid your hand on me. So he he talks about how that God stands on our future and that he has prepared the way. That's not what this says. And when you go to a reputable translation such as the ESV, it says, You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. It does not say anywhere about you've gone into my future to prepare the way. He talks about this, about, you know, what God's voice sounds like and that um, he prays in tongues because it is needed to open the pages of our books. He then goes on to talk about his five, five and a half hour visitation where God told him different things, such as about the fivefold ministry. 
want you to defend me and my father to the world because we're not doing these terrible things that are happening on the earth right now. So you're saying uh, there are a lot of people saying that it's judgment. They almost say it with glee on, on humans from God. What did God tell you? God told me that the fivefold ministry is supposed to be speaking to the body and building them up so that they're in unity and that they can be effective witnesses because there's this huge harvest coming in. That's what we're supposed to be doing. So it wasn't, he said to me, he said, the earth, the world, the world is already being judged. Those who have rejected God, they're being judged right now. He said, but the people of God are not being judged if they judge themselves. So he asked me to bring forth this message and give you these CDs so that we would judge our ourselves that we wouldn't be judged with the world. That's what's happening right now. He said the separation has already started. He talked about the religious goats and the sheep separating. Yes, he saw, I saw that the religious goats would separate from the lambs, the sheep, that it would be those who resisted the supernatural resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and that it would be so evident that people would separate and the goats would dig in and say, no, we're not having this. And then that there would be a smaller remnant that would accept the power of God and go on with God. And those would be the ones who display the miracles and the signs and wonders and were a habitation place for the glory of the Father that was coming on the earth and is already here. And I hope that you recognize the correlation with last week's episode about the full gospel there <laughs> and denying what that means as far as uh, sheep and goats and, and uh, almost, he's not using the word apostasy, but he might as well. Uh, for those that do not acknowledge miracles, signs and wonders and such, there are indeed people in this movement that make that distinction, calling people that call into question the things that he's saying and the, and the actions that are going on and calling for biblical discernment and testing. They are calling those of us who do that apostates or goats. And one last thing uh, he talked about too, uh, he, he mentioned about God visiting people at night and that when people would wake up, they would be a new person, that Jesus would come and bring these same encounters to others. As soon as they go to bed, Jesus said uh, that because it's so busy and people are in fear right now, he said, even my people are in fear. He said, I'm going to visit them at night and I'm going to convince them otherwise that I'm a good God. I'm going to show them their future. I'm going to give them plans. And then I'm going to have angelic assistance come. This is all going to be at night when their mind is not busy. And he said that when they wake up, they'll be a new person. He said it's going to happen all over. He said he's going to start is, is with families. Is this going to be not just spiritually, but even physically? I'm, I'm curious. I'll this because it's a bold statement. But Jesus said, if I have to extend people's lives out to 120 years just to fulfill what I've spoken, I'll do it. Now, what I find interesting about what he's claiming Jesus told him is it almost sounds as if God is not able to do the things he wants to do while someone's awake and they're using their mind. It's And you'll hear this in this movement. You don't want to think, especially, you know, we take the example of trying to get someone to receive their prayer language. I don't know how many times I told people and I was told myself, don't think. Don't use your mind because the mind is viewed as something that's dangerous and that it shuts down the move of the Holy Spirit. In spite of the fact of the word of God telling us we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with all our strength. That's a just an example that I use of 
again, shutting down critical thinking, as I've said before. And when you're saying things like, well, Jesus told me that he's going to come to people in their dreams because that's when their mind's not active. If, and then he goes, you know, 30 seconds later or something saying, you know, if God needs to extend people's lives out, he'll do it, that God can do whatever he wants. Those two things do not agree because you're saying it's almost, again, and I've said this before, and I'll probably say it again. It's almost treating God in a deistic way that he created everything or open theism and that he just has like a hands off approach and that he left the world to us and that it's all in our hands and that we're the ones in charge and that God just ever so often, you know, he He drops in. But at the same time, you're still supposed to have this intimate relationship with Christ and you're supposed to seek after these encounters and God can't really do anything because you're thinking too much. So you need to be asleep and so that way God can come to your dreams and Jesus can come there and you can have these radical encounters and be transformed. I hope this is making sense when you see and you listen to the things that they're saying and and think about them. And And you may be thinking of things that I'm not considering as well, but I hope that it's teaching you to go back to the word. Because this, again, is making these encounters normative. This is not normative behavior. This is not normative in the life of a Christian. This is not even normative in the, in the acts of the apostles. The lay people, the, you don't hear of this happening. This is not a common thing that was going on. And we need to quit telling people that this is normative behavior. That, and if you don't have these face-to-face God encounters, and that you're, if you're not seeking after the supernatural, then you are not getting everything that God has for you. And it's, de- and it's denying the promises that we have to look forward to that are eternal, that we can't see with our own eyes. We can't see with our natural eyes right now denying those things and and thinking, well, we've got to have something right now. We've got to have supernatural things going right now. And if we don't have those things, then we don't really know God and we don't really walk with God. That's not true. That is not true. If Peter had never seen Jesus on on the Mount of Transfiguration, if he had never seen that, he still would have had the more sure word of prophecy. And he talks about this in 2 Peter 1, uh, verses 19 through 21. Even before that, I believe in verse 16, he talks about that he was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. But yet his experience, it's not to be even the same caliber as the word of God that testifies of Jesus Christ. That the Holy Spirit carried men along to write, to make him known, to make the coming of the Messiah known. And in the New Testament, he was revealed as the Messiah, as the one who takes away the, the spotless Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. These encounters need to be tested. It does not matter who says them, who lays claim to them. They need to be tested. They're not above testing. They're not above it. And when they're saying things that are contradictory to scripture about playing with your hair and crawling in bed with you and then apologizing to you for being hurt and not feeling something, we're not told in scripture that we go by our feelings. Our feelings, (laughs) I feel like a broken record sometimes, and you probably think I am too, but it's okay. But it's good to get stuck on this, I think, because it's good for me to hear it and it's good for you to hear it. We're not to be led by our feelings because your feelings will deceive you. Your feelings will get, you'll get your feelings hurt and I'll get my feelings hurt and we'll go into emotion-driven choices, emotion-driven experience. And I get, there's nothing wrong with having experiences 
because we all, even natural experiences in our life, we have experiences every day. When we talk to people, when whatever we're doing, there are experiences. I get that. The problem comes when your experiences become the foundation you stand upon. When your experiences and you continue to say, I've seen Jesus face to face and this is my standard of truth. It's, you're in dangerous waters, my friend. You're dangerous waters. And I, I, you know, I'm probably talking to people that have come out of this and you're thinking, I don't do this anymore. But I'm sure you know people that do this. And it's concerning. And then people get very offended when you question their experience. How is that different than the world? Because the world has experiences. Atheists have experiences. Secular people have experiences. There are people that are very confused in our world right now that are having experiences. How is that any different? The difference is, as a believer, we don't go by our experiences. Everything has to be interpreted and filtered through the Bible, through Scripture. That is the standard. That is the foundation we rest upon. It is the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. We can be sure because God spoke through them by His Spirit. And this is truth. And you seeing Jesus or not seeing Jesus does not mark you as a believer. <laughs> you're, you're marked because of what Christ did for you on the cross and that his Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption, according to Ephesians, and that you have been cleansed from all unrighteousness. And so your question may be, okay, Don, so what, what do I do now? Like, I understand that these things are not biblical. So what's, what's the point of this? Well, one thing I want to point you to, first of all, as I'm thinking about it, you know, if we're talking about those that in Scripture that had a radical encounter, if you will, uh, we can always go to Luke 24. Luke 24 is one of my favorite passages to ponder on. And it used to be in a different way because it was before I had better biblical understanding. But when we look in Luke 24, we know that Jesus is walking on the road with two disciples, uh, one of whom we know the name is Cleopas. We don't know the name of the other. And they are very upset. They're sad because of Jesus dying. They thought he was going to be the king to, um, to take authority. And their understanding of authority and ruling and reigning was completely different than what Jesus said. He said his kingdom was not of this world in, in John 18, 36. But as we see on the road to Emmaus, we see these two disciples walking and Jesus in, uh, joins in their conversation. And their eyes were kept from recognizing him in verse 16. And he asked them about their conversation, and they explained to him what was, why they're upset. And they tell him about Jesus of Nazareth um, in verse 19, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. And some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Whenever angels, by the way, as a side note, are mentioned in Scripture, they're not there for you just to say, oh, there's an angel sitting next to me on the couch. He's just hanging out here, and I just feel liquid fire all over me. That's not why angels are there. They're messengers. They're there for a purpose, and they glorify God. So just keep that in mind as well. And so his tomb was empty, and, and they're relaying this to Jesus, who they do not recognize at that point. And at verse 25, this is what this is what amazes me when I think about this now. He said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now he's talking about the Old Testament. 
Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. What I find beautiful about that, it was not about this encounter and saying, Oh, yes, Jesus told me that he's going to come to you in dreams and he's going to give you all these wonderful experiences and he's going to fill your bank account and you're going to have these powerful things that you can do on the earth. No, Jesus came to them. They saw him face to face, the risen Christ, and he teaches them from Moses and the, and the prophets. He interprets to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He ministers about himself and points back and shows them the truth of what was going on, of why he had to die, why he had to be crucified, and that he lives. So he's showing them all of this in the, in the scriptures, the Old Testament. And as they drew near to the village, it goes on and they stop and they're eating and they're breaking bread. And when Jesus is sitting at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it in verse 30 and he gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's what caused their heart to burn was the understanding, the illumination of the word of God, not an extra biblical revelation, not some new experience that they had. They didn't even recognize Jesus when he first came to them and was walking on the road, but they understood what Jesus was telling them at that point. They recognized and understood the truth. And I share that example because this is glorifying Christ. This is to show that the scripture is sufficient and it's true. It bears witness about our Savior, our Lord and Savior. And so back to the question that you may be asking me. I've come out of this movement. I want to understand the the significance of living this life for Christ. And I don't have an experience I can lay claim to, or maybe you do and it's very and you question it now and you look at it based on what scripture says and it, it's not matching up. Um, to to what's being described in scripture or romanticized Jesus and it was not appropriate or it was irreverent or however you want to look at it, whichever way, whether you do or you don't have something you can lay claim to or you do and you are brought to repentance because of it or conviction and you want to understand scripture better. How can I understand what it means to live before the face of God if I never see him on this earth while I'm taking breaths in this body that is wasting away, according to 2 Corinthians 4, that our bodies are wasting away because of of the fall. And I would point you to the understanding of a term called quorum deo. Now, what what did I just say? That's actually a Latin term. And quorum deo is a term that means before the face of God. I've seen it a couple different spots, but one of the spots I've seen it in was uh, hearing R.C. Sproul talk about this in quorum deo. And there was an article on Ligonier that I came across that talked about what does Quorum Deo mean. And he had a friend a long time ago, and R.C. Sproul has passed on now to be with the Lord, but um, he had a friend that asked him an earnest question. What's the big idea of the Christian life? He was interested in the overarching ultimate goal of the Christian life. And he says, to answer his question, I fell back on the theologian's prerogative and gave him a Latin term. So I want to play a little bit of this for you from R.C. Sproul. It's an older clip. To give you some better understanding, and I, and I think it's going to be helpful to you as we listen to what this means and to be reminded of living before the face of God. 
We listen to sermons, we read the scriptures, we get caught up in the maze of the details of theology, but we long for the opportunity to cut through all of the fine points, the, uh, the particulars of Christianity, and get down to the core, the very essence of what the Christian life is all about. That's what we mean by uh, discerning the big idea. So when this businessman said, Orsi, what's the big idea? I thought about it for a moment, and the answer that popped into my head came out of the 16th century Reformation. When the Protestant reformers of that time had to define themselves to a watching world. And so they had to crystallize the essence of what their ministry and their movement was about. And out of that crystallization process came a phrase, of course it was Latin, that was introduced and used frequently by Martin Luther to declare the essence of the Christian life. And Luther used this phrase, that the essence of the Christian life is to live one's life quorum Deo. Now that may be a strange phrase to, to you, quorum Deo. Literally what it means is before the face of God. And what Luther was saying simply was this, that the Christian life means to live all of your life in the presence of God. You know, sometimes we behave and perform with our lives not for God, but for an audience that's here. And that our behavior when we're in secret may be different from how we behave when we're in the presence of people whose judgment or approval we seek. We think, for example, of the prodigal son when he pled with his father to receive his inheritance early, how he uh, squandered that money, but before he squandered that inheritance, what did he do? He went away into a far country where he was anonymous, where no one knew him where he didn't feel like he had to, to live under the scrutiny of somebody who might possibly disapprove of what he was doing. Now, Luther says we should live our whole lives not as people seeking the cover of darkness where we have a secret life, a private life that is hidden from the gaze of our friends or of authorities but that our lives should be lived openly in the presence of God, before the face of God, practicing a kind of consciousness of God from moment to moment. Now we add to that a couple of other ideas, that the, the big idea of, of Christianity is to live quorum Deo, to live all of one's life in the presence of God under the authority of God, and to the honor and to the glory of God. I went on the Ligonier website and found this when it talks about Coram Deo. The highest goal of the Christian life is to behold the face of God. As people created in God's image, we find our identity in Him. And as Christians bought with the precious blood of God's Son, we receive the promise of an eternal home in His presence. 
Knowing all this, our privileged purpose as Christians is to live humbly under God's authority and to live joyfully for His glory. This is life quorum Deo before the face of God. Every moment of our lives takes place under the watchful gaze of God. But rather than leaving us exposed to His holy judgment, God has taken away our sinful rags and covered us in the righteousness of His Son. Through faith in Jesus Christ, we're set free from sin's shackles to fulfill our life's purpose, set free to live for Him. R.C. Sproul often reminded us that Christians live quorum Deo before the face of God. Since the Lord has created and redeemed us, our whole lives belong to Him. God is King over our every breath and each of our relationships and all the work of our hands. No room remains for divided interests, only single-minded, wholehearted devotion to the one who made us for Himself. Because the eyes of God are always on us, our eyes should never leave Him. As we submit our minds to His teaching and behold our consciences captive to His Word, and this is not a, a um, God consciousness, by the way, of or Christ consciousness in a New Age way or any type of way. This is understanding that God is ever-present and that um, we are to be submitted to Him in every capacity of our lives and being led by His Spirit. They go on in here to say, God will give us all we need to live faithfully before his face. Not only that, but the Lord promises to give us what our hearts desire most, to see his face. At the end of life's journey, our faith will finally become sight as we are ushered into the endless enjoyment of God himself. Let's face today with that day in mind, living in joyful submission to the one who is our all in all. And that, my friend, is what we live for. I no longer desire these experiences that I have to prove how spiritual I am before someone else and to claim these radical encounters that would elevate me in my spiritual superiority. What I want to live for and to to ever be reminded because my heart can be led astray and I can wander, I want to be reminded daily by the word of God, as my mind is truly renewed by the word of God, when I ponder on his word and think on it and hide it in my heart, is I want to remember that this life is to be lived ultimately to see his face. This is what it means to to live before the face of God and to recognize that he is omnipresent in our lives. And so when I read this and, and I'm and I'm personally reflecting in my own life as a believer in Christ on what this means to to live before the face of God, it's not in a mystical way, but it's this understanding that God is not, he hasn't taken a hands-off approach in the life of a believer. He is ever present with us as believers in Christ. We are continuously reminded of that and encouraged by that. Um, we see uh, in Psalm fifty six thirteen it says, "For you have the psalmist said, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life." And that area that I may walk before God can be translated from the Vulgate as Coram Deo, that you're walking before God in the light of life, before the face of God. It's it's a great reminder for us again in that quote that R.C. Sproul gave, said in that video to live one's life to live one's entire life in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and to the glory of God. 
I don't know about you, but that is a daily reminder I need. There can be trouble and trials and difficulties and suffering that this that this life holds. And it is so easy to forget. And we think that it's only that life is only good when we're having supernatural experiences or these radical encounters when we've been a part of this movement, if you've been a part of it. That's sometimes what we have gauged. I know I've done that. I've gauged how my life is going based on how many supernatural experiences I had in the past. And it's so freeing to not have to do that anymore. Not necessarily that I had to do that, but I think a lot of times when you're part of something like this, you feel that's part of it. It's part of that bondage that you're in of thinking, well, if I don't have this experience, if I'm not hearing God for myself, if I'm not internally hearing or audibly hearing the voice of God, if I can't lay claim to seeing Jesus face to face or having these certain things happen, then I'm going to be looked down upon as being less than inferior, or I don't really know God as much as I, this other person does because they've seen Jesus face to face. Jesus walked in their room and laid in their bed with them and played with their hair. And it creates this chasm with believers and and people start going, well, then I really don't know God. But you do. If you have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and he has made your heart of stone to heart of flesh, he has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. He has caused you to hear his voice through scripture and to hear the, the effectual call of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he saved you and delivered you. And he's reconciled you back to the Father. And you have the glorious promise of eternal life because of Jesus Christ. And that you don't have the second death to fear. There is no fear in death because Christ has defeated. He is the conqueror. Then you know Christ. You know God. And now that you can live in peace in knowing I live as a believer in Christ, even on this earth, until the day that I stand and see God face to face and with him in, all, in eternity forever, I'm still living before the face of God. I don't have to see him to live before the face of God on this earth. I know that that's the case now. And again, not in a mystical way. I hope you understand that. Even when people are quoting Ephesians 2 and Colossians 3 in, in this type of movement, it's being misused and misinterpreted. And it's really causing it to be more uh, focused on you than on, on Christ. And there was one other scripture that I wanted to share with you that came to mind. And, it, and it's again, it's a, well-known, it's a well-known psalm. It's in Psalm 27 when I was pondering on today's episode and the, the scriptures. And, and, you know, we can go to Exodus 30 and we can talk about uh, when Moses was before God and and the different uh, the different accounts that people will go to when they're trying to um, to validate these face to face encounters that they have, and proof texting or eisegeting the passage, however they handle it. But Psalm twenty seven came to mind when I when I hear the Psalm for David, the Lord is my light and my salvation. And I wanted to leave you this with this today. And as always, I want I encourage you to go through scriptures, find the passages that are talked about sometimes about being face to face with God, and really ponder in your own life. How, what does this mean, Coram Deo? How am I living my life, Coram Deo, before the face of God daily? Take inventory in your life. Look and see and see where there's continuous room for spiritual growth, which applies to all of us. None of us have arrived. But get an, a better understanding of what that truly means in light of Scripture. Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. 
Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. And my heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have, O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And I love what this says. Uh, it's a, in the, I got this new Bible from uh, it's a, the Church History Study Bible. And in the commentary from Matthew Henry for Psalm 27, verse 8, when it says, You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, do I seek. Matthew Henry said, With an eye of faith and holy love, we will behold this beauty with pleasure and observe more and more in it that is amiable and admirable. I hope that this encourages you today to continue to plumb through scripture to find out what it means to be before the face of God. Colossians 3, among other verses, is a reminder to us of putting on the new self. In verse 16, we're encouraged to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And I truly believe that this, again, among other scriptures, helps to put in perspective of what it means to live quorum Deo, to live before the face of God. Whatever we do in word or deed, it is to do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and giving thanks to God the Father through him being continuously reminded that we are not alone. We have not been left alone in this world. The Holy Spirit is working within us and conforming us to the image of Christ, and God cares for us. And so I want to just encourage you to meditate on that and to remember that you don't have to have these supernatural experiences in order to prove that you know God. If this podcast has been helpful to you, or if you have questions or uh, any comments, please feel free to reach out to me at dawn at lovesubscribe.com. And if you have enjoyed this podcast or find it encouraging and helpful, I hope that you'll consider leaving a five-star review so that will help others. And as always, I look forward to being with you next time as we continue to look through scripture and to evaluate some of these things that many of us may or may not have come out of, but that we always want to go back to what the word of God has to say about them and to be at peace with God. I hope that you'll remember today to live Coram Deo. Be blessed today by the truth of God's word. Thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me on Facebook and on Instagram at lovesickscribe. And if you enjoy reading, feel free to hop on over to lovesickscribe.com and subscribe to my blog. I've enjoyed being with you today, and I look forward to our next time together as we talk about biblical truths, current topics, 
and we continue to grow together in loving the Word and loving the one who is the Word, Jesus Christ. Blessings to you.